Good morning. We haven't met yet. My name is Kayla Harden. I serve as the pastor of Congregational Connections here at Eastside. And this morning, we are so glad, whether you're joining us on campus or streaming online, we are so glad that you've chosen to worship with us. Now, this Sunday, we are in the middle of our Legacy Makers series, where we have been, over the last few weeks, we have been exploring the idea of what it means to leave a legacy. We've been working our way through Hebrews chapter 11, looking at the lives of people who left a legacy of faith. We've looked at the stories of Abel and Enoch and Noah. We've explored what it means for our lives to make a difference, to leave an impact by looking at the stories of people who left such a legacy that they were mentioned in the chapter of Hebrews. And this morning we will continue by looking at the life of a man whose legacy of faith was so great that not only do children sing about Father Abraham, who had many sons, but that his faith and his obedience led him to be the father of a great nation. A man whose trust in the Lord led him to create the family that would eventually lead to Jesus, God's ultimate redemption plan for the humanity that had turned their back on him. We're gonna explore the, man, the life of a man who fathered not one, not two, but three of the world's major religions, making up over half of the population of our world. I mean, of all the legacies to leave, this seems like the best one, right? To leave this kind of impact on the world? He must have been a great man with great faith who was perfectly obedient to God. But if you're familiar with Genesis, you know that that's not necessarily true. See, sometimes when we, we look at these characters in scripture, we look at these stories of these people, we kind of put them on the pedestal and we don't really look at some of the flaws and the mistakes that they make. See, Abraham, yes, was a man of great faith, but he wasn't perfect. In fact, he lied to two different kings about his wife being his sister, and then he and his wife took God's promises into their own hands to get her maidservant, Hagar, pregnant. So not just like flawed, but like reality TV level flawed. And yet this man is held up as the father of our faith. He's in Hebrews 11, listed as a man of great faith. His life, flawed and imperfect as it was, left a legacy of faithfulness that not only impacted his son and his son's sons and their sons, and it changed the entire world. See, many of us feel that leaving this kind of legacy is beyond us. We've had too many mistakes. We're too flawed to leave any sort of a legacy but that of failure. But this morning, we're going to look at what it means to leave a legacy of faithfulness. How even as flawed human beings, we can look at how God can take us, take people who have made mistakes, who have failed, who have hurt the people around us, and still produce a legacy of faithfulness. Our text this morning comes from Hebrews chapter 11, verses eight through 10. Feel free to follow along in your Bibles or you can read the scripture up on the screen. The author of Hebrews writes, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in a land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him to the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, 
whose designer and builder is God. Abraham is a man who left a legacy of faith, one that has impacted over half the global population. But before he was Father Abraham, he was Abram. And his story includes ups and downs, doubt and belief. And we won't be able to explore all of his journey as it spans 14 chapters of Genesis, and I know you don't wanna be here that long. So we're gonna look at a few pieces of his story and we're gonna highlight some important things about how God can produce a legacy of faithfulness in our lives. In this section of Hebrews, we find three words or phrases that I wanna focus on. So if you're a note-taking person, like this is, this is for you. This is where you write down the words or you put them in your phone, okay? The first one is go, second one is stay, and the third is God will build it. These, th these three things will guide our exploration of Abraham's life and story. We'll be looking at Genesis chapter 12 and chapter 15. Both of these chapters take place before God has changed Abram's name to Abraham. His story starts 11 chapters into Genesis. And if you're not familiar, Genesis is the first book of the Bible. It's an origin story, not just of the world that is created around us, but also of the God's chosen family, the Israelites. It's the origin of how God begins to weave a plan of redemption after humanity has rejected him time and time again. Over the past few weeks, we've been exploring the lives of some of the people in Genesis, guided by Hebrews chapter 11. And if you've missed any of these, I encourage you to go back to our website and to listen to them. But let me recap for you. In Genesis, God creates everything from vast galaxies and planets and stars across the universe to the intricacies of tiny insects. These chapters also detail how things go wrong, how the humanity that God has created has turned their back on him time and time again. And last week, Pastor Kerry shared how God was grieved by humanity's rejection of him and how that rejection influenced their actions. But he also shared how God brought redemption and hope, how he called a man named Noah to build this ark, Noah who had walked with God, to build this ark to save his family from pending destruction. In the story of Abram, we find God calling a man to be the father of a great nation, to begin to craft this plan of redemption through his family, one that would eventually lead to Jesus and solidify this hope for the whole world. Abram was the son of a man named Terah who had just moved his family from Ur to Haran. We believe that his family was probably pretty well off financially. And in this time and culture, Terah would have been the head of the family, so Abram would have gone with his father, finding protection and identity in his father's home. So it was also a time of diverse polytheism as well. See, there would have been gods associated with the physical land that you lived in. They would have been part of the homeland. They would have been tied. And then when you left that homeland, you left those gods behind to adopt the gods of the other land. There would have been gods associated with somebody's extended family as well. See, in this time, your family was your protection. People didn't leave home to go live somewhere else. They stayed with their extended family. And this extended family had its own set of deities. And then there would have been gods associated with Abram's immediate family, his father's household as well. See, there were multiple layers to their religion with gods in every area. It's almost as if we had idols specifically for the state of Indiana, for your extended family, and then for the people who lived in your house. 
Abram lived in a world where his safety, his identity, and even the gods he worshiped were all tied to where he lived, to his extended family and to his father's house. But one day, the Lord said to Abram, I want you to go from your country. I want you to leave your family, leave your father's house, and go to a land that I will show you. If you do this, if you cut ties with your family and the land you know, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make you so great that other people will say, may you be as blessed as Abram. Those who bless you, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse. Through you, I will bless all the families of the earth. And Genesis 12, four tells us that Abram went as the Lord had told him. His nephew Lot joined his entourage and at 75 years old, Abram packed up all of his possessions, all the flocks and things that he owned, all of his household, and he made his way to the land of Canaan. Now you should know that what God was asking Abram to do was not so simple as pack up all your stuff in a U-Haul and move across state. It wasn't even as simple as going to another country. For Abram to follow God into the unknown meant not only was he sacrificing the security and the identity that came with his family, but it also meant that he was severing ties to whatever idols his family served. By telling Abram to leave his country, to leave his extended family, to leave his father's house, he was essentially telling Abram that he had to cut ties with all of these categories of deity because there wasn't room for Abram to walk with God and to walk with idols. The Old and the New Testament, they talk often of idols and idolatry. And at this time, what qualified as an idol was probably pretty clear cut and easy to identify. These were gods fashioned and from wood or stone or some other natural material. See, people would take these natural materials and they would form these idols and these gods to give them some sense of control over the chaotic world that they lived in. They believed that through pleasing these idols, through pleasing these gods, they could manipulate them into giving them what they wanted, whether it be security and safety or a good harvest or victory over their enemies. And even though most of us probably don't have a shrine to Molech or Baal, the idols the Israelites often cheated on God with, our lives are filled with a multitude of idols. One pastor defines an idol as any person or thing that consumes your thoughts, words, time, energy, or money other than God. Let me say that one again. Any person or thing that consumes your thoughts, words, time, energy, or money other than God. What we learn in Abram's story is that there is not room to walk with God and walk with an idol. What we learn in Abram's story is that God calls us to move away from anything in our life that splits our devotion from him. Abram lived in a time where what would have been expected was to, to keep all of his household gods, to keep the gods of the land, and to simply add Yahweh into the mix. But by calling Abram to leave his land, to leave his family, God was making it very clear. Abram's affection, his devotion, it could not be split between God and an idol. And for us too, our affection, our devotion, cannot be split between God and anything else. God says go, 
and cut ties with anything we worship other than God. See, leaving a legacy of faithfulness, it starts by cutting ties with anything else that we worship that isn't God. In the Old Testament, we often see God using this illustration of marriage to talk about how the Israelites related to him. And often Israel is accused of cheating on God with these other idols. To put it in today's terms, if you're in a relationship with God, if you're walking with God, there is no seeing other people on the side. You are solely focused on him. Our hearts were created to worship something. And if it's not God, we'll find something to worship instead. Whether it's money or power, relationships, we'll find something to fill that void. Something to worship with our time, our energy, our resources, and affection. So many of us wanna keep the things that we've been worshiping and then just add God to the mix. We don't wanna give up these idols and so we decide to, to keep them and maybe add in some God following on the side. Or we compartmentalize, worshiping God on Sunday mornings but not letting our faith really permeate into the rest of our week. My son Aiden is pretty smart. And even at a young age, when he was maybe three or four, he was very good at not picking a side between my husband and I. So my husband would ask him like, who is your favorite, mommy or daddy? And he would reply, both of you. Like, he knew how to do it. Or my husband would ask, who's smarter, mommy or daddy? And he would reply, Aiden. We joked that that kid really knew how to ride a fence. But for many of us, we find ourselves on that fence when it comes to what we worship. Sure, we wanna worship God, we wanna show up on Sunday mornings or we stream our services online, but we reserve the rest of our lives to do whatever we want, whatever we worship. We can't fully dedicate our lives to either way, and so we're stuck on that fence, never fully committing to either way of life. But if we wanna leave a legacy of faithfulness, we have to cut ties with the idols that have captured our attention, our devotion, our thoughts. A legacy of faithfulness means being completely devoted to God. God knows what's best for us, and it's not life on a fence, never fully committing to him. If this is you living life on a fence, what would it take for you to fully commit? What would you need to change for you to walk with God every minute of every day of your life? Stop dating around, stop seeing other idols. Go, cutting ties with anything else you find yourself tempted to worship that isn't God. Now this is just the beginning of Abram's story. His story doesn't even end with this journey to Canaan. In fact, he only stays there for a little while before a famine forces he, him and his household to go to Egypt. While in Egypt, he gets himself into trouble by lying about his wife slash sister, and they find themselves back in Canaan again. Time passes, and if you're interested, you can read his story in Genesis 13 and 14. But this morning, we're going to pick back up in Genesis chapter 15. Abram is back in Canaan. His nephew Lot is no longer living with him, but Abram is still a nomad, a wanderer, living in tents and probably wondering how any of the promises God made would come to pass. One day, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram, God said. I am your shield, your protection. Your reward will be very great. 
But this time, Abram's response contained a hint of doubt. Lord God, he said, what will you give me? How can these promises come to pass when I don't have any children? There's no one to inherit the wealth that you've given me. No one to benefit from the promises that you've made. There's no child to care for me when I get old. No one to bury me when I die. If this doesn't change, I'll have no choice but to take matters into my own hand. I'll have to adopt Eliezer of Damascus to be my heir. Sure, he's part of my household, but he's not my son. You've given me no child. And I'll have to have Eliezer be my heir. By now, Abram's eyes were beginning to fill with tears of frustration. What was the point? What was the point of all of these blessings when he didn't even have a son? How was he supposed to be a great nation when he didn't have anyone to inherit? But God spoke to him again, saying, Eliezer won't be your heir. Only your own child will be your heir. Come outside, Abram, and look at the sky. Abram went out and looked up. The sky was clear, the darkest shade of blue. Not a cloud was in sight, and it was sprinkled with thousands of stars all twinkling. Abram stood feeling small in a universe so big. Count the stars, Abram, God said. Go ahead and try. You can't, can you? As numerous as those twinkling stars in the sky, that's how numerous your descendants shall be. Abram stared at the sky. He swallowed down the lump forming in his throat, and he knew. He knew that this God that had protected him in warfare, that had blessed him with riches, that had kept him safe when his own deception threatened him and his wife. This was the God who would do just what he said. He believed the Lord, and the Lord counted it as righteousness. God says, stay. Stay with me when you have doubts and find hope in my promises. Abram was known for his faith, for his obedience. After all, he followed God into an unknown place. He cut ties of the world he knew to trust that some of these amazing promises that God had made would come to pass. But even Abram had times when he doubted. Even Abram didn't know how God would make these promises work. Even Abram looked at the situation and only saw what was impossible. I mean, can you blame him? His wife was well past menopause and there was no baby. He was old, she was old. By all logic and human understanding, this promise had reached its expiration date and he didn't see how it could come to pass. But Abram turned to God with his doubts. He voiced his concern. And when God reiterated that promise to him, he believed and it was counted as righteousness. I think sometimes we find ourselves unsure of what God is doing. And we begin to doubt that he's really there. We can find ourselves being lost in those thoughts of doubt and beginning to doubt that he really is there. Or maybe we think that we have to have it all together. We think that faith means that we never really wonder what God is up to. We think faith means that when we encounter struggles or pain that we paint a smile on and automatically reply, God's got this. But the reality is that we all struggle with doubt at some point. Whether we're facing a scary diagnosis, loss of a job, 
bills piling up. We often find ourselves wondering, where are you, God? Are you still here? How will I make it through this? Like Abram, we find ourselves looking at our situation and we think, God, you've forgotten me. You've waited too long and now it's too late. But when we have these doubts, we can turn to God with them. God can handle them. When Abram took his doubts to God, God didn't shame him for them or say to him, well, I thought you had faith. I guess I'll have to find somebody else for all my promises. No. God simply reminded him that he would deliver on his promises. He gave him a visual of what it would look like. When you doubt, keep walking with God through those doubts. Voice them in prayer and stay, even when you don't understand or know how it could work out. After telling Abram that his descendants would be like the stars in the sky, God continued in Genesis 15, verse seven. I am the Lord. I'm the one who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans. I'm the one who will give you this land to possess. Abram shook his head. He was, after all, still living in tents, moving from place to place. Oh, Lord God, Abram said. But how will I know? How can I know that I will possess it? How can I know that any of these promises will come to pass? God told him to get a heifer, a goat, and a ram, all three years old. He told him to grab a turtle dove and a young pigeon as well. And so Abram brought all these animals and he began a ritual that was common in that time. You see, when two parties needed to form an agreement, they didn't have legally binding contracts like we do now. They had these uh, practices where they would take these animals and they would split them in half. I know, a bloody practice. They'd split them in half and put them on two sides of a pathway. And then the two parties would then walk through the pathway. And what it was signifying is, if you break this covenant, if you don't do what you've promised, if you wrong me, may your life be like these animals. And so Abram began to prepare this. And then he laid them out. And then he waited and waited and waited. He waited for so long that vultures began to descend on the animals' carcasses. Abram shooed them away and he waited again. He watched as the sun began to set and he began to feel himself growing incredibly drowsy. But this was no ordinary feeling of being tired. It was beyond even the fatigue that comes after a long day of work. He felt a heaviness settle on him as if he'd taken a double dose of NyQuil Abram fell into a deep sleep and a terrifying darkness, a dreadful sense of foreboding began to consume him. And then the Lord said to him, know this for certain, your offspring will be foreigners in a land that is not their own. They'll be enslaved there and oppressed for 400 years, but I will bring judgment on that nation they serve. And afterward, they will come out loaded with possessions. But as for you, Abram, you will pass away in peace, buried in an old age, having lived a full life. And when I have freed your descendants, they will come back right here. And the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Darkness had descended and Abram watched as a smoking fire pot 
and a flaming torch representing the presence of God passed between the paths made. And Abram knew what this meant. You see, normally two parties walk together, signifying both of their responsibilities in the covenant. But this time only God went through. Only God. By the smoking fire pot and the torch, proceeding down this path alone, God was taking on all the responsibility. See, not only was God doing his part in the covenant agreement, but he was also taking on Abram's responsibility as well. God was essentially saying to him, you might fail, but I will not. And in this moment, we see one of the most important pieces of being a legacy maker. See, it's not about you trying to be perfect. It's not about you working harder, trying to be more faithful on your own. The author of Hebrews tells us that Abraham understood this important fact about God. That even when his name was just Abram, he understood that God is the one laying the foundations, the architect and the builder of what truly lasts. Because you see, when God takes on that responsibility, God says, I will build it. We realize that it's less about us trying to achieve a legacy on our own, and it is more about the faithfulness and the power of the God that we walk with every day. God didn't stop with fulfilling both sides of Abram's covenant. When we were still sinners, when we were still separated from him, he sent his only son to take our part in the covenant again. And when we decide to follow Jesus, when we acknowledge that he is our Lord and Savior, that in him we find redemption and forgiveness of sins, we embrace what God has built, an eternal legacy. See, leaving a legacy of faith starts right there. There will be times when we fail. There will be times where we wonder how on earth we're going to leave a legacy of faithfulness. But in the story of Abram, we see that we have an ordinary man who has made plenty of mistakes. He failed. He didn't understand what God was doing. He doubted. And yet he's remembered as the father of our faith. Maybe you felt inadequate for a while. Maybe you've wondered about the legacy that you will leave, how your life will impact the lives of those around you. And maybe right now, that legacy doesn't look so good. In Abram's story, we are reminded that God tells us to go. Go and cut ties with the idols that we've been worshiping. If you wanna live a legacy of faithfulness, start by taking inventory of your life. What do you spend the most time thinking about? Where does most of your attention go? Where do you spend most of your money? Or have you found yourself trying to keep your old idols and just kinda add God into the mix? You can't ride that fence. When we walk with God, there is no room to see other gods on the side. If you feel the Holy Spirit nudging you right now, I encourage you to spend the next few minutes praying and reflecting. What do you need to change in order to worship only God? How do you order your everyday life to prioritize him? God tells us to go, move away from our idols, but God also tells us to stay to stay with him even when we have doubts. In Abram's story, the promises that God made him were impossible by human standards. But when Abram doubted that God would follow through, he went to God with those doubts. 
He voiced them to his creator who lovingly gave him a visual of his own love and promises for Abram. So when the struggles of life leave you doubting God's love and presence, turn to him. Like Abram, look at the stars and see how even, and see what you, even when it seems impossible, God is still moving and working in your life. Remember how he has been faithful. Stay with God, even when you doubt, and he will remind you not only of his promises for the future, but the faithfulness he's shown you in the past. When you go, when you stay, remember that God is the architect and the builder. He will build it. Even when we fail, even when we're not good enough, even when we're not faithful, God is. If you've ever found yourself wondering if you could leave a legacy of anything good, remember that we are all just ordinary people in the hands of an extraordinary God. It is God's faithfulness that enables us to leave a legacy of faithfulness. This morning, we'll close our time together singing a song about God's faithfulness. And as we sing these lyrics, I hope you'll spend some time reflecting. Reflect on the faithfulness of God in your own life. Reflect on the faithfulness of the God who is the builder and the architect of what truly lasts. Reflect on times when maybe you've doubted, but God has somehow, somehow brought you through. Reflect on a sky full of promises and reflect on how God took your place in the covenant, knowing that you might fail, but that he could not. We are just ordinary people in the hands of an extraordinary God who's building and designing legacies of faithfulness that can impact this world in a mighty and amazing way. Would you pray with me? Lord, we stand in awe of your faithfulness. Even when we mess up, even when we fail, you do not. Thank you for the faithfulness that you have shown to each of us. And Lord, I pray that right now, that your Holy Spirit will speak to each of us. Bring to our minds the things that we need to let go of so that we can make you our sole focus. Help us to trust you when we do doubt and to look to your promises to know that you will be with us through it all. And Lord, we pray that you will move and work in our lives that we can leave that legacy of faithfulness behind us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
our hope as you go from this place back to your everyday lives is that you'll go cutting ties with anything that keeps you from soul devotion to God, that you'll stay with God even when you have doubts and find hope in his promises, and that you will trust that God is the builder and the uh, architect of our faith, building an eternal legacy that we all get to be a part of. Go in peace and have a great week.